Hello, welcome back to an episode of Brewing with Conviction. This is your co-host, Chris Martin. I'm joined tonight with Jesus Garcia and special guest, Anson Maddox. Uh, Jesus, first of all, welcome back. Start with you. Thanks for having me, man. You know, it's always great to talk. How, how hyped are you for tonight's cast? I'm just excited. I'm, You know, I'm a relatively <laughs> newer player. Uh, I just love watching old art, though. So we'll pass the puck here. Yeah, without further ado, so we've got a piece of magic history joining us tonight. Anson, I just, first of all, thank you so much. And uh, Brenda, I, I just appreciate both of you helping us get this all coordinated and, and taking the time to chat with us tonight. So welcome, welcome to our podcast. Thanks for having us. So we'll we'll get right to it. So what we wanted to really talk about tonight is um, first just, you know, kind of, I guess, take us back in, in like a, almost go back in time. I started playing Magic in the mid to late 90s. I was, I was just a kid when I started. Jesus started playing much more recently in the last three to five years or so. Um, and Anson, we, I think what we both would just love to hear about with this podcast and, and walk away from is some of that nostalgia. Uh, Jesus, for you, I know it's, it's more just kind of gaining a, a, a look into magic history. For me, it's actually going to be quite a bit of nostalgia going back down Anson, some of the cards that you designed and, and uh, produced for, for wizards. And I'm just really excited to talk about it. So can you tell us, the, just give us a little bit of backdrop on on how it all started. I, I looked up just you know some of your bio as we were prepping for the cast, and I saw that you went to college uh, or to school, I guess, to college. It was Cornish College of Arts with Jesper and also Andy Russo, I believe is how you pronounce. Ru- yeah, he pronounces it Russo. Oh, Russo. Okay, yeah. So. Um, Three of the original artists. I know Jesper was the art director, the original art director, and you and Andy were uh, two of the original twenty-five. Can you just talk about some of that? Just tell us a little bit about your experience at Cornish and what got you into the world of fantasy art. Okay, um, so I think it was uh, nineteen eighty-eight. I uh, started going to Cornish and. I was there for illustration, but they didn't have an illustration department. So uh, I was in the graphic design department and um, I was paying for it out of pocket. So I was working at the same time and I was working at a clothing store where I was painting used leather jackets. Um, uh, It's speaking of Cornish, uh, Amy Weber and uh, Sandra Everingham were also uh, students there. Oh, wow. I just wanted to add those to the list. Yeah, wow. Um, I didn't know. I might, I might be forgetting somebody. I hope not. <laughs> uh, uh, Julie Barrow. Yeah. So um, we were uh, we were not necessarily. Uh, I mean, I knew Jesper only through Andy. And Jesper was working at Wizards of the Coast, uh, you know, out of Peter Atkinson's basement, you know, the original, uh, you know, the yeah. founder of Wizards of the Coast. Um, and this was a time when the biggest fantasy game on the market was Dungeons and Dragons. And if you can imagine there being no card games, it's all like role playing game and some desktop, you know, board games. 
and some, uh, you know, like Warhammer, you know, figurines and whatnot. But uh, so when I was asked to do some work for Wizards of the Coast, it was on a product called Talislanta, which is it was sort of a a trippier version of Dungeons and Dragons. And uh, I just did some black and white illustrations. Um, and it was while we were doing that, it, this wasn't a hugely popular game, but it was, you know, it was their biggest game. And when uh, Richard Garfield came in, because he, he needed a publisher for a game he was working on called Robo Rally. Um, and he went with uh, Wizards of the Coast. And while they were, you know, they said they weren't going to be able to get around to Robo Rally for, uh, you know, until after the next Gen Con. And, uh, but they asked Richard if he had, you know, any time to work on something that could be played in the lines that people stood in while they're waiting to play Dungeons and Dragons games at Gen Con. And so, you know, he, he came up with magic. You know the the format that's and everything. Un- unbelievable! I did not know that's how Magic was like the original <laughs> idea behind it to play. I knew it started at Gen Con. That was where it was first released in I think '93, if I'm not mistaken. Right. Um, yeah. But I didn't realize it was the impetus behind it was to play it in line at the conference. That's amazing. Have you been in those lines before? <laughs> I, I have. I've been to Gen Con a handful of times, actually. And and yes, those lines, I, I have to imagine over the years, they've gotten even longer than they were in the early 90s. But uh, yes, those right. lines, they wrap around quite a bit. Yeah. So the idea was to take advantage of the fact that you had players uh, just kind of stuck there. And <laughs> so, great idea. yeah. Yeah, I thought it was a pretty good idea, too. But um, so uh, some of my pieces uh, that are, you know, in the, the, uh, the first set, which is, uh, I think, 10% of the art in the first set uh, I did. And I didn't actually know that there were going to be any expansions on the game. So I would get a title like Vampire. And... Uh, I, so I'm not thinking a, a Sengir vampire because that wasn't part of the title that I was given. So I, was think, I had to come up with a vampire that was, in my mind, I thought it had to be very iconic, very, you know, it had to encompass all aspects of vampire. So uh, that's why you get the look, you know, that uh, like Sengir vampire has. It's sort of a, almost a collage of different ideas in one piece. Yeah, well, you you said iconic. You absolutely nailed it with uh, with iconic because that is, in many regards, one of the most iconic cards in all of Alpha. So, uh, Sengir, it, Vampire, Lanawar, Elves, Animate Dead. <laughs> those are the big three, and honestly, they're amazing. Oh, thank you. Dead's one of my favorites. Um, well, that's that's fantastic. So, so you you went to Cornish. How did? Uh, Jesper through Andy then, it sounded like? Is that how the connection kind of flourished and how you got onto the magic, um, right. just got involved with magic? Well, I think Jesper was talking to Andy about you know the work he was doing at Wizards of the Coast. And Andy uh, had a style that was sort of like, uh, you know, 
kind of an Albrecht Dürer uh, drawing style. And he wasn't really that comfortable with the idea of illustrations for a fantasy game. And so he uh, referred Jesper to me, and I, uh, I gave Jesper a, a, just a, a trial image, you know, the, to give him an, an example of what I might be able to do. And uh, do you still so have yeah, that trial? I do. I do. I actually have the original. Yeah, I guess we have the original. That's um, so cool. That's it awesome. kind of. It kind of looks like a Star Wars Tauntaun, actually. <laughs> <laughs> you know that that those snow beasts. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, just um, We're all nerds here. But, I mean, we know yeah, this. Oh yeah, <laughs> all day long. Yeah. The um, the one of the little catchphrases for Talislanta was "No elves," and <laughs> the. Uh, the flip side of that was every single humanoid race in the game had pointed ears. <laughs> <laughs> so, so when I uh, when I did Lanoir Elves, it was almost a uh, it's kind of a boycotting of uh, Tolkien elves, only because they they were everywhere, and that's what everybody expected when they thought of elves. And so I was just being kind of you know. Uh, standoffish with that, but then Elvish Archers was sort of a uh, an apology almost. <laughs> <laughs> when you so, so talk to us a little bit. We're we're talking about some specific cards that you've drawn, and I think it would be really cool to just get a glimpse into actually a couple things. One is I would love to hear about the process of like how you got assigned cards. You mentioned the word vampire. Was it, was it literally mm. that like in, in the alpha days when you were drawing for the first expansion, they just gave you uh, minotaur with, you know, for example, and then you had to go mm -hmm. and run with that. Okay. Yeah. So this is exactly how it went. And I'm sure all the artists went through the same process. We'd get a phone call from Jesper. He'd be all excited about, uh, you know, the art that he had to assign. And he would run down a list, you know, vocally over the phone of <laughs> all the things. And then you had to jot them down while he's doing that. And then when he was done with the list, you would point out the ones that you thought you would be interested in. And I have, I have lists still that I, I have written down while I was on the phone with him, and I said I skipped on a lot of really important cards because <laughs> we had no idea, you know, what uh, what the cards right. were going to be doing or whatever. But uh, yeah, so I'd get vampire, and that's all that I would have to go on. That's crazy. Whereas How now you now you'd get uh, pages of right right detailed information. Yeah. Yeah. No, I knew, you know, I knew that today, you know, in the design, it, the, the, to be honest with magic, I mean, the whole R&D process, I think is just, a, it probably doesn't even look anything like what it was when you were first starting out. I have to imagine that it's just, you know, totally a different, possibly right. more robust process, I guess. But yeah, I, I did know that with the art today, it's, you know, we I, I've seen this on various podcasts and, and, various Watsi um, interviews and things of that nature. And actually even at Gen Con hearing it a few times from a handful of artists, panels and stuff. And basically 
you know, for listeners out there, the, the today world is that they get, that they being artists get a list of, you know, a very descriptive idea of what, what Watsi wants the art to be like. And then, you know, they go out and design it and come back with samples and answer for what you're saying. It sounds like it was a lot different than that back in, back in 88 <laughs> or, or I guess in the early nineties. Right. Yeah. Actually <laughs> the list of, of uh, pieces that Jesper had to have done uh, as many as you could commit to, he would give you. Wow. So, so, it was... so you had to figure out like how much time you would have to do it. Would you be able to get them done in time and, you know, in good quality. And he was having artists drop out left and right um, because they had to strip down to a, you know, 50%, cash 50 percent uh stock options and nobody knew wow. that that was going to be a good idea at the time right right yeah geez stock and the crazy part is yeah the stock options probably would have gone a long way it just you you couldn't have known at that point in the, time. yeah exactly so it was sort of a you know am i going to pay rent this month or am i going to you know because it's fifty dollars <laughs> per piece, right? <laughs> Which well, is amazing. It's that's that's amazing to think about. It was only fi- they only had fifty bucks per card back then. That's wild, right? Right. And yeah. the the fifty bucks in stock was uh, was a much better uh, thing to yeah. To go a, for. That would have been a better take. I hope you took some of that. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I um, took half. Uh, but we did have the option of taking it all in stock. But you know, I thought it was being generous by taking half in stock <laughs> yeah 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 and yeah you probably had to pay you had, like you say you have to pay the rent at, at the same time too so exactly. were you still in college then were you still at cornish when this was all going you know taking place or had you come out of cornish um you know and and were you i guess two questions yeah. with that were you still in college and then if if you were still in college i guess this was kind of a side gig while in school it sounds like I I actually had dropped out of Cornish uh, after a year and a half, and so you know Andy and Jesper and uh, Sandra and uh, Julie and uh, Amy were all you know still going to school there. I think most of them probably graduated. Yeah, but I uh, I was I was getting illustration work uh, left and right at the time so i dropped out and just decided to try to transition into a professional illustrator and gotcha and so yeah it was and then after magic took off i was jesper he uh he convinced me to to uh work at wizards of the coast for a while and i really didn't want to but he he's very uh persuasive Yeah, that was gonna be my next question. Is so you know, did did you end up? I know you stayed on with Magic until actually until Time Spiral, which was I think two thousand and six ballpark, something like that. So, so you actually stuck with it for quite a while, and that was gonna be my next question. Was it, uh, you know, was it? Did it ever become a full time thing, or were you just designing art for Wizards, kind of as like a side thing while taking other commissions and other um, illustration requests? Um, there were a lot of other games being created after Magic, you know, sort of in its wake. And um, 
it was pretty exciting to be able to do work for these different, you know, uh, creative universes uh, to get out of the fantasy stuff and kind of explore other, you know, like vampire and science fiction type things. Even uh, the Folio's uh, XXX Xenophile game. <laughs> gotcha. Uh, um, w- one of the questions we actually had submitted from one of our uh, members here at Conviction Gaming asked, this is probably a timely timely time to ask it. He said, uh, did Anson work on Vampire the Masquerade with White Wolf Studios? And then he said, his art shaped a lot of how I view the, that aspect of gaming. Uh, and and also just went on to say that he's been running games in World of Darkness since 1991. So, oh, wow. talking to you is uh, is a big throwback for him as well. It, it sounds like, but, uh, but yeah, he's wondering if you've if uh, this is from Lockheed, one of our members here in Discord, uh, asked about okay. Vampire the Masquerade with White Wolf Studios. But it's it's interesting. I I was working uh, sort of alongside White Wolf, but I wasn't in direct contact with them uh i i did the uh all the icons on the card face you know that have you know the action points and the the just you know the what kind of a creature this is the little black and white icons or whatever um mm-hmm. i don't know what you call those the symbols uh, yes so, yeah i was i don't know if, if there's a specific so term but right and then i did the uh the the logos the well i didn't do the snake logo for jihad but uh i did all the layout for it i did all you know i'm not even sure i should say who did did the (laughs) but yeah i did card art for him but i i I think maybe uh the biggest contribution would probably be the uh the back of the card and the uh, the packaging i did a lot of the packaging too Gotcha, gotcha. Did you, uh, there was a follow-up on here It said, with that history and question in mind, did you have more fun working on Vampire or MTG as far as the art went? Oh, that's that's really tough. Uh, uh, I don't know. I, I, I try to be in my own little universe when I'm working on stuff, so it's like, you know, going to a different block and working there for a while it, i don't know that i have a, a preference really as long as i wasn't trying to reproduce something that somebody else had already done you know i'm not big on goblins or other classical creatures that uh have already been created i like to yeah. conceptualize them and i'm you know myself and explore that but um I don't. I, somebody might have the question of Mark Tadine's Anson card. Um, so they they gave me uh, a card in Magic or Vampire, which was Anson, Prince of Seattle. And I think I'm sure it was a joke, but they wanted me to do the artwork for it, and I uh, I passed it on to Mark Tadine. So Mark Tadine did the artwork for that. And what card did that end up actually becoming? Anson, Prince of Seattle. That's actually, that's actually a card? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm a Toreador. I'm like, I'm like <laughs> frantically Google, Google. Oh, yeah, it is. Toreador. Look at that. That's hilarious. Oh, I never heard of it. I never knew that. 
so yeah, Mark Tadine is a, is a childhood friend of mine who, uh, yeah, we worked together on a lot of things. Uh, so he did that portrait of me and, from a photograph that we took, and he had to shorten the tongue. But other than that, it's pretty accurate. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, I, you know, I saw that as in one of the bios I was reading about. Uh, I think I was just looking at your Wikipedia page, and I, I noticed that it mentioned Mark Tadine in there, that you grew up in Alaska together. Um, that's actually really cool. I, I I think Mark Mark is definitely still active in the magic art world because he just put out some phenomenal art with uh, the Karn and the the Urza lands for our for the recent set that launched. So that's pretty neat that that we're talking about him too. Yeah, he. Uh, uh, oh, we actually even saw feels- him at uh, Magic Fest when you and I met, Chris. Yes. Yeah, he was up in Milwaukee. Yep. I uh, haven't been to Milwaukee in a long time. <laughs> yeah, he he did some tremendous work though on those uh, the Urza's lands and and Karn for um, they're from like a premium product that just released about a month ago called Double Masters. So right, yeah, I actually saw some of that because he he pointed me out to it because uh, he was he was having a blast uh, owning the uh, all the crap that he was getting from critics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, but. I I'm surprised. You know, it's funny. We art is such an amazing thing with with how it can generate such polarizing opinions on it. You know, I think it's just amazing right. that, and, which makes it so. That's like the the best part about art, in my opinion, is just the interpretations that it can lead to. I the the worst part about art are the people that criticize it in a non constructive way. Those those people I just don't really have space for in my own world, but. Uh, but generally, I just love that there are so many different reactions to art, good or bad, um, you know, like, not really good or bad, but more like like or dislike type of thing. So, yeah, I think as long as it affects somebody, then you've uh, right. I mean, if you're able to see what the effect is that it has on, you know, the people that view it, it it does a lot for it. You know, it's when I do a piece, I'm more interested in knowing what somebody thinks is going on with it than having them know exactly what ended yeah yeah and how they react to it and yep no i yeah one of the things for me with magic um i mean this is like so it's, it's i'll be honest it's surreal talking to you right now because for me i've been playing this game for 20 almost 25 years be 25 years in 2022 which like that alone for me is such a crazy thing to think about and (laughs) over those years i went from like this little kid that just cared about like the cool big monsters and the you know the art on the i in fact actually animate dead when i was a kid was one of my favorite arts and i it it's it's kind of amazing to come back to that and now i'm talking to you who did the art i I just (laughs) having like a, a wow moment for a second but I, I loved like the big scary monsters and and I had no concept of the game when I was first playing this. I was I was about ten or eleven years old, um, you know, playing with it, fr- playing with friends on, you know, on the block that I grew up on, right? And uh, mm-hmm. and then over the years of just staying engaged with the game, I've appreciated the game more. And Magic has been such an experience, learning how to play it and playing it effectively, and you know, being a better player and all the imagination that comes with it. And then on top of that. My whole point of saying this whole little mini story is the art itself in the later year, the more recent years now, but like my later years of playing the game as I've kind of matured in the game. And 
honestly, I never appreciated the art when I was a kid. And as I turned that corner, it's become my favorite part of collecting the cards. Um, you know, playing the game is a lot of fun for me, but mm-hmm. there are an, uh, there's an aspect that I never used to appreciate, which was the collectability of the print that's on the card. Not so much the card, not what it does, but the actual art on the card. And uh, anyway, I, that's just mostly me saying thank you for all you do and just really all the artists in general do for for magic and, and not just magic, more broadly than that. So, I really appreciate the, uh, the detailed uh, appreciation. Thank you. It's good feedback. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. Animate Dead is actually in our uh, safety deposit box in the bank right now. <laughs> is it really? Yeah, I, yeah. The artist proof for that's got to be um, got to be one of. I, I was almost going to say one of a kind. I don't. I can't actually say that because it, it literally could be. I don't. You, you would know better than me. But that card is. <laughs> we'll so send iconic. you some. <laughs> yeah, that card is just so iconic. Um, actually. I, brings up a question that i had um how with the whole process being you know you just being called over the phone being told all these words you had to scrabble down and just figure out what you wanted to do Mm -hmm. how how did they handle uh things like artist proofs or your original prints way back how did it go Um, from paint and paper to cardboard (laughs) Okay, so uh, the because they were working with a really limited budget, they were giving the artists as many uh, you know perks or you know they wanted to give them as many reasons as they could think of to agree to do the work. So they were offering things like royalties and uh, you know just they didn't even have the rights to the piece. They had one-time North American rights, which is the the right to print it once before a renegotiation was necessary if they wanted to print it again. So that and that's pretty much unheard of these days because a you know a company has to have control over their intellectual properties. Um, so slowly as they started to grow, they would uh, ask us for more. Uh, control over the pieces and i didn't really have a problem with that uh until they wanted to buy them out and uh just second brent has given me some input you turn it in. yeah oh yeah she's trying to get me back on track <laughs> <laughs> so uh I would, I would i would personally i would go to a coffee shop and uh just take a sketchbook and make thumbnail uh concept uh, sketches until I saw something that I felt was, you know, unique uh, interpretation of the of the title, and um, then I just I I went to this uh, frame shop down the street from where I lived, and I'd take a big sheet of illustration board and took it to them, had them cut it up into the little five by seven, you know, blocks, and I would just take a pencil and one of those and go sketch it out over another cup of coffee and then take it home and paint it. And then we would have to, you know, drive it out to Wizards of the Coast, which was 40 minutes away. And uh, it was actually in Kent, 
It was in Kent, Washington, yeah. Um, and we'd get to see a few things that, you know, they had, you know, other artists had delivered stuff as well. So we got to see what was being scanned at the time. And they would give us an idea of, you know, kind of where we thought we stood as far as the overall look and feel of the game. Um, some of the first pieces I did, I, I almost made them look a little bit like face cards from a, you know, like a, a deck of regular playing cards. Yeah, like uh, how Lana War Elves is, uh, it's not looking straight at you. You, only, you basically right. just get a profile of it from the side. Right, that was just a little bit of graphic design sense coming into it. I, I thought that it would be good if the image was recognizable from a distance. You know, if you're playing across the table from somebody and you had to bend over and stare at the card every time they put one down to, to recognize it, uh, that kind of defeated the purpose of it. I always fun. thought that the elf art that you did, it reminded me, it's so interesting you just said a playing card because the Llanowar elf, I, I actually used to think this as a kid, that Llanowar elf looked like a joker what I would imagine a joker to actually <laughs> make on like a, a deck of playing cards. If you if you were to put a face to the Joker, the 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 face that you drew, the profile of Lana Wells is what I imagine. So um That's so that funny. lines really, really closely with my interpretation. Oh. I have a question for you along the same lines of this, uh and and like the interpretation and kind of how you got there with the art that you came up with. One of my favorite reserveless cards uh in magic history is from a set called alliances it's lord of tressorhorn it's oh yeah it's, it's a card that i've always wanted to make playable in in the actual game and i've never been able to to do it in the time when it was printed it was actually a decent card it's unfortunately just become outclassed over the years but i'm curious how that played out so i don't know by the time lord of tressorhorn would have been um you know when they were commissioning that card with you how was it still the same process where you got a phone call from Jesper or was there was there uh more detail at that point how did you kind of get Lord of Tressorhorn to become what it what it became yeah it was the the backstories were starting to uh form a little more clearly and there was you know like continuity across a set and they when they were first uh giving me Lord Tressorhorn as a an assignment they i think they were asking me to provide my idea of what i thought it might be about <laughs> and so i had to <laughs> i had to look into what they were what they were discussing and uh i came up with this idea for treasure horn that actually they didn't go with but uh i was pretty happy with it uh maybe i could provide that to you guys oh that would but, be super cool you yeah. you have like the original sample I, I have the original painting. Uh, sketch, uh, I mean. Oh uh, my gosh, that, yeah, that'd be the painting cool is see. leaning against the wall behind me across the office. Um, it's uh, it's larger than the original um, magic uh, pieces. I don't, I don't know if you know the uh, the original size for the pieces was five and five eighths by seven and an eighth. Oh, I did not know that. Is because of the limitations on uh, the scanner that they had in the office at Wizards ah. of the Coast. Yep, yep. Um, but yeah, they got bigger. This one's almost uh, like uh, maybe how big is that? Uh, 
13 by 11 inches, maybe. Gotcha. Pretty large. Yeah, I didn't, it's actually really fascinating. I, I, it, it, you know, we're, we're spoiled in the days of technology now where uh, <laughs> laser printers and all this other fun tech probably doesn't create a limitation. I never really thought about that, though. I bet. Did that have a significant impact on the way that you designed and, and you know, sketched? Um, well, not really. Uh, I've kind of stuck to traditional media. Um, I mean, I, I've played around with digital, uh, tools and whatnot, but, uh, there's something about actually having the surface, you know, friction underneath your hand while you're working on it. Uh, it's, it's difficult to get that kind of a connection. Uh, digitally unless makes sense i mean i'm looking at some graphics tablets and brenda is like worried that i'm going to buy one of them (laughs) (laughs) i mean as as someone who dabbles in a bit of uh, sketching i have a sister who went to uh, art school before leaving uh yeah the, the there is a definite noticeable difference between all forms of media and mm-hmm. I'm more of a fan of traditional media than digital art. Personally, I like people like I for some of my cards I literally reach out to different artists and will ask them, "Are you willing to paint on this?" Just so uh-huh. then I can get a different take where it's like I can see the brush strokes. And that's what I really like about um a lot of the older magic art despite being a newer player. I only started mm-hmm. in late 2016, early 2017. Um I like I grew up surrounded by art, so uh-huh. being able to see those differences was has always something that piqued my interest and always fascinated me. That's really cool. I it it has grown so so much over the years. It's just out of control how many pieces there are. There's no way that you could really, you know, catalog all that in your head. I think. How many pieces are there now? I have no idea. Oh man, how many magic cards? Unique art. I, oh, oh God. Probably, probably, God. I'm gonna, I would. <laughs> I would guess over ten thousand. I, I honestly, I don't know. There's, there's probably around twenty thousand unique magic cards now. Wow. Um, let's see here. Oh. I'm just. I'm oh, looking it up right now. Twenty. Yeah, there are. There's over twenty thousand. Yep. Yeah. Those are, u- <laughs> those are unique cards. Those aren't right. even ones that have different arts or different reprints of them that just all look different. Yeah. Oh yeah. my god. Yeah, and then yeah, you figure all the variants and premium art and different art, or not premium art, foil art, I meant, and just, yeah. Um, oh yeah. That's wild. So, Ansa, I have a quick question about Mark um, Tadine and the Urza print. Uh, it was like the Urza with Karn print. Did he, uh-huh. did, did you talk to him about that at all before he did it? No, actually, that's really funny. <laughs> I was uh, I was a little miffed that he didn't mention it to me. Just you know, because we, yeah, we're good friends. It's it's, uh, it's strange, but. Uh, afterwards, he was telling me about all the fallout from the uh, expression on Karn's face. Yeah, and, yeah, and <laughs> it became and, an in the magic world. 
Right, and I was I was getting all defensive for him. He goes, "Oh no, no, I own it. I'm I'm I'm, I'm with him. I I agree." And we're like, "Okay, cool." <laughs> but we even have really? it as an emote here on our server. It just became a meme. It became a joke. But personally, I just love it. <laughs> it's amazing. I, it's like one of the best magic memes that's like ever been created. So, um, the reason I asked that question was because I know you've done art for Urza's mine. I I, I pulled it up it, it looks like you did four different arts for urza's mind um fifth edition chronicles and and antiquities there were two different versions in antiquities um in, there, there, go ahead sorry go ahead oh i was just gonna say there are there were four different uh, arts for urza's mind in antiquities and those are the uh, only yes, ones that would, those are the only ones sense. i've ever done Got it. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I was looking at, I'm looking at just, uh, I, I pulled it up on Scryfall. And yeah, that makes sense now that I'm looking at it. They just, they, it looks like they do it by the most recent set that that art showed up in. So, um, so yeah, so there were four different ones in Antiquities. One of them, I, I, I can't help but wonder, because so there, there's some Easter eggs in Mark Tadine's print. If you were to put it and look at the full landscape version, the acrylic version, uh, uh -huh. there are different, Easter eggs that are basically homages to to some of the prior art that's been done. So I, right. I on some of the Urza's lands, I'm wondering if one of yours snuck in there or not. I'm, I'm kind of comparing them as I'm talking, but I was curious if you had any insight into that. I I've seen the the uh, the panoramic, uh, but I haven't really uh, looking looked closely at it. I saw some you know block and tackle uh, you know some winches and pulleys and stuff uh that might yeah. apply um i should probably take a better look at it yeah I'm i, th I it think right now. i think you mentioned amy i think amy weber also did one of the urza lands i can't remember which one but i, I think she definitely shows up one of her arts shows up in his acrylic i just think it's really cool that he did that i just think that's such a neat uh yeah i, I it it makes I, the reason I brought it up in the first place was mostly because I didn't realize how closely, I guess, connected, for lack of a better term, you all were when this was all getting off the ground. In my mind, I guess I had it that it was just a bunch of different artists from around the country or the world or whatever that were all kind of contracted in to, to or commissioned in to do this. And I didn't realize until you've been well, talking about it that you had this backdrop. So. Well, you you are that is actually accurate. It's just that Mark Tadine and I uh, grew up together, so we we've always had that connection. Um, Got it. Okay. That and, yeah. And other than that, it's uh, you know I didn't I wasn't actually there when other people were working on their pieces, but Mark and I worked our pieces in the same. Room. That okay. Well, that's really cool. That's really neat to to know about. Um, Okay, so let's fast forward a little bit. So we've talked a lot about just the the concepts and and the inspiration that goes into that. And I'd be curious to understand what was your just experience working on magic for as long as you did. It was about roughly I, I'm going to say twelve to thirteen years. Is that is that right? Uh, I'll take your word for it. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> Something like it, it looks like. It, it looks like the last piece that you had published was in Time Spiral. So, just how was the time doing that? Did uh, you know what what was 
um what was the what was your favorite part maybe also i would love to know what was your favorite card that you ever designed i i'm very curious to hear what was your favorite one I used to have Brenda used to have a uh, thing on the wall that had all my cards on it. <laughs> now I, I'm have, I'm trying to think. Uh, um, I imagine it, it'd be hard. <laughs> yeah, it it's 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 really difficult to. Uh, to separate the the mindset because I kind of yeah. was I was always in the same sort of I mean the thing about like for instance Urza's mines um, I screwed up when they first uh, when I first did them I finished four mines and turned them into Jesper and I didn't realize that he didn't mean exploding mines so I. <laughs> <laughs> They're like these different, four different kinds of landmines, basically. <laughs> and I was already, uh, he was already uh, pressed for getting them done uh, and off to the uh, the printers. So uh, I had that night to f to fix it. And so all four of those Urza's mines I did in one evening. And... I think they turned out better than a lot of the other pieces I did for the game. And so that's, that's interesting. That's pretty amazing. <laughs> you did four pieces of art in one night. Wow. Wow. But there was a little coffee involved that night. Lots of coffee. Yeah. We, we, there's, I think we basically, we called it pain rent where we'd go and just, just keep, keep ordering coffee and just stake out, you know, a, a table all day. Yeah. Yeah. That was the code name pain rent. That's, that's yep. good. Uh, Absolutely. Okay, so here, so I'll I'm gonna pick a card then because it's one of so I we already talked about animate dead. That that for me is honestly, it's one of my favorite pieces of all time. Not just like your art, but just in magic history. So oh, thank you uh, again. Just to read, yeah, no, thank you for for <laughs> for what you did with it. Um, the the one the other one that comes to my mind that I think is just super iconic and it's uh, maybe no pun intended when i say that is cyclopean to tomb uh -huh. um that that art for me is very uh, i don't even know where to start i don't know what word to even apply to it it's when i i don't know if you've ever seen the movie inception but the first uh -huh. time i saw the movie inception i was like wow the art on cyclopean tomb is basically inception in my mind but it it was you know the movie was way created way later after your art so anyway what <laughs> could you tell take us just into the thought process that went into that card sure um i a lot of the pieces i did were sort of uh had to do with you know there was no storyline yet so a lot of it in my mind was sort of uh abstract you know is kind of evocative of something and so I, I would kind of blend different concepts together to try to have something that was you know it justified itself it wasn't necessarily something that you would stumble across but it was something maybe that would flash in your mind um i the figure in the uh in the middle of the eye the reason his head is 
down where you can't see his face is because I couldn't decide whether or not he should be a cyclops or he should be some somebody entombed in uh, you know an eye. And there's actually so many different concepts in that piece that I couldn't uh, figure out a way to develop. So I just kind of put them all together and put it on blend. I think it's tremendous, though, because you know, for for the listener out there, I'll, I'll pause now. Please Google Cyclopean Tomb if you're not familiar with the art. Pull it up as we talk about this, because I kind of want to. Uh, unravel it for a second it's it's one of the most impressive pieces of art that i you know and i looked at all of your art and there's just tons of amazing art there's so many that i remember as a kid but to me cyclopean tomb is one of the most amazing pieces especially now knowing how the design process worked back then and you talking about that it's it mm-hmm. puts it all together that this card was you just got a name, right? Like you got a name and you had to come up with something. And when you look at it, it's a single eye. So obviously the thought of Cyclops, right? And, but then the fact that you have a tomb, the word tomb and the eye itself has what I assume are the mummification, the, the uh, wrap for like the mummification, if, if I have that correct. Well, yeah, at the time uh, when I did that, my sketchbooks were full of this, uh, sort of drawing a kind of a uh, rattan or a uh, just a woven texture over things. It gave it a lot of volume if a figure had wrappings. Um, I was kind of obsessed with it at the time. So it, it worked its way in there as a, uh, a texture. It works its way in perfectly. I mean, it's, it's fantastic. And then you've got like, so that's really interesting that that's why you have the, the uh the figure in the center you've got the head down uh, you couldn't decide if it should be a cyclops or not but i mean the way it all comes together is just it's one of my favorites that you've done i I talked about animate dead and as we were doing kind of the homework for preparing for this podcast i went and you know really kind of immerse myself in your art for a, a couple of actually a couple hours just looking through all the different cards um, and that was one that I just definitely wanted to touch on. There's one other one, um, and Jesus, I'll, I'll I could turn it to you in a second here. I kind of monopolizing the time, but the other one, and this is this would be my second favorite piece that you did behind Animate Dead, and ranks very high on my list of uh, what I would classify as like old school original uh, art from Magic, and that's Pyrotechnics. Pyrotechnics was actually a favorite card of mine as a kid. I used to love playing burn decks and lightning bolt and stuff like that. And so I actually own several copies of pyrotechnics. Um, I not really spending much time on going through it, but one of the things that's so interesting to me looking at pyrotechnics is we were just talking about like the digitized art and, and how that whole transition and, and graphic design and so on has kind of impacted some of the magic cards these days one of the main characters in magic uh in like the storyline in the recent i don't know five to six years is chandra and chandra is all about like pyrotechnics and fireballs and so on and so forth and what's so interesting to me and i i'd be curious to know this from other artists who have designed chandra but your card pyrotechnics with the character in the center kind of wheeling like a fireball in uh in the right hand reminds me of some newer pieces 
almost looks to me like this was inspiration for some of the newer Chandra pieces that have come out. So I just kind of want to point that out because I thought it's really, um, it's really cool. It's just neat to kind of see those connections. Okay. Be curious. I wonder if some of the artists that have done that, I'll have to, I'll send them to you after cast, but there's a couple of different cards that have been printed in recent years that just this, your, your card makes me think it might've been inspiration because it's, um, it's one of the more iconic pieces in my mind from a, a burn card standpoint. So, I, I have to tell you right now, Brenda's laughing at me because, because I uh, I have a problem with pyrotechnics and that I wasn't very happy with how it turned out. I had high aspirations for it. I but I wasn't I don't I wasn't as successful as I was hoping and uh, really it off. Yeah, it was supposed to be this sort of. Uh, uh, almost like a Chinese martial arts sort of uh, action moment where this figure is uh, letting loose all these crazy uh, fire uh, effects. But I can't remember exactly what what the problem was, but the, the pose didn't uh, translate to the board as well as it was in the, in the sketch. And uh, so I, so, so now when I look at it, I can't see it <laughs> objectively as a... He hates pyrotechnics. <laughs> yeah. Oh, sorry. All right. Well, but, but it's not so good too. Well, wait, 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 wait. It's not, it's not because I think it's a terrible piece. It's because I, I failed on it to do what I was trying to do. So it, I understand. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I don't think you fail. I think it's a tremendous piece. So, um, for whatever that's worth, but that's uh, well, yeah. The I just viewer call that. The viewers want you know your opinion is what really matters. So thank you. Yeah. You, well, if if people weren't listening, they wouldn't. They may never know that you thought you failed on the piece if if they really liked the piece. So, uh, but don't that's forget really, it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's actually pretty. <laughs> Honestly, it's it's really refreshing to kind of hear that side, though. To be, you know what I mean, like to just hear the the kind of cold hard truth for what your thoughts on your own uh, pieces are. So that's that's pretty neat. The cold hard truth of pyrotechnics. Yeah. <laughs> another, another, another little pun intended. Um, well, this is this has been just fantastic. It's been a lot of fun covering all this stuff jesus do you have any other questions you want to bring up honestly it's just been a blast listening to you just hearing about how things were back then like i said i'm a newer player i really don't get uh the a lot of this um exposure to what happened to how it was back then it's fantastic Uh, for me as a player to hear all this Uh, I hope I hope uh, everything is uh, you know welcome new player. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, looking back, like I'm a combo player. I like uh-huh. playing a ton of things at once. I like going off, and probably one of your your oh one of my favorite arts from you is high uh-huh. tide. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. One mana, that, just go that... off, and that art is just fantastic. I love how you can just see the brush strokes. Uh, again, I'm more of a fan of traditional medium myself, so this has always just drawn my attention. Uh, we'll have to send you a print. If you could, that'd be yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Uh, so, so it was it was kind of a, a somewhat literal, but uh, I I've 
there have been people who didn't uh, pick up on the uh, the symbolic crescent uh, implements in her hands and being, you know, an influence of the moon on the tide. Yep. And and then, you know, the phases of the moon kind of arcing overhead. Wait, people didn't um, pick up on that? Yeah, and so I, it's hard for me to know exactly what to say uh, because I... I don't want to, you know, sound too obvious. No, I thought that was obvious. <laughs> I thought yeah. that was obvious when I saw okay. the moons, how it influenced the high tide, I, the, <laughs> the way her poses, everything. It just, to me, it just makes sense. But I guess I'm just thinking this from this as another artist's perspective, as I grew up with one. <laughs> yeah. Also, to be fair, a lot of people. I mean, I I grew up going down to Florida as like a summer vacation with my family, so I learned all about high tide and stuff. So people may not actually know what influences the tide I, I don't know if that's like something that they teach every everyone in school or not maybe they do and people just glaze over it but <laughs> i definitely did see it there um but yeah if you're listening you've never noticed that high tide and uh well tide goes in first tide of all high out. tide the card <laughs> is a literal translation of the moon yeah <laughs> the moon's influence on the water so uh yeah you, you learned something new today on the on the Brewing with Conviction podcast. Um, yeah, I love I love High Tide as well. It's a and I actually run that card. Uh, I've I've got I've had a copy of High Tide for every year that I've played this game. I got it when I first started playing in 1997. So figure I've owned a single copy of that card for 20 what is it 23 years now, which is kind of crazy to think about again to date myself on that, but. Um, all right. Well, so I have a couple more. These are these were uh, uh, questions that were submitted ahead of time sure. to us, and so one of them is about just like how distinctive you were in the early days of Magic, and how you were one of the original twenty-five, and how you stuck around with Magic for a long time, and then in the early two thousands, uh, you know, just looking back on on the cards that got released that had your art on them after time spiral you sort of just faded out so was there what what is there any reason specifically that you could share on on why you faded out of magic and and i guess separated out of it um i know they were they were doing a lot of uh uh they're bringing a lot of artists in from you know other parts of the world and uh i think that i'm what what Uh, oh, oh, um, oh, yeah. Brenda's reminding me that uh, one of the things I really got out of doing work for the game was uh, being the one that was in, you know, it was my responsibility to come up with the concept behind the image. And when you are translating somebody else's description into an image, it's, it's not quite as fulfilling, really. I was curious if that was the reason that was um, having talked as much. I, I wouldn't have known that going into the cast, but once we've talked as much as we have so far tonight, uh, I had a feeling maybe that had something to do with it. So, um, so as they started to give you more, basically the more detail they gave, I, I imagine the less fulfilling it got. Uh, yeah. It's the, when I work on something, I, I actually like to be sort of, sitting next to the viewer and also being kind of mystified by certain aspects of the image. So a lot of the things that I try to depict are 
things that I don't really have my head completely wrapped around. And I think that that ends up being a, a lasting element that uh, makes the image worth looking at again because you know there's something about it that you haven't quite figured out yet. And with the, the newer art descriptions that are given to the artists, it's this is exactly what's going on, and uh, this is what you should depict. And if you depict something outside of that, make sure that it's still in the box. And, wow. I mean, that makes sense if you're going with the storyline and, you know, you're committing to that. But um, I always liked the part of the game that was not uh, described yet, you know, that the players would have the ability to sort of imagine what goes in between what they see. And uh, that was what was fun about coming up with the artwork, is you knew you were providing some mystery. And yeah, yeah. There's, there's none of that. Uh, now because that's somebody else's call so yeah they kind of separated the creativity from the execution almost it used to yeah. all be one one experience um mm -hmm. yeah the yeah, r&d department actually was just the gameplay uh back when i was working at the offices right uh, right yeah and now it's it's so much more than that so um yeah, I, no, you know, I don't know which I don't know which way is uh, the best, you know, way to produce the game. Uh, it's just uh, I will just say that I I really liked working on the concept side of it. Yeah, you don't have to say anything on this, but I'll say what my thoughts are. I, unfortunately, the the game itself has been heavily commercialized or commoditized with influence from Hasbro and shareholders and all that not so fun stuff on Wall Street. And I, per, I mean, I'll just say it. My, my sentiment is that there's aspects that are good and there's aspects that are bad. I, I think the the bad part, and it's felt by people, certainly by people like myself who have been around the game since you know, kind of its infancy. I mean, it was it was a little bit growing up by the time I started playing in '97, which is actually crazy. I mean, it was only four or five years old by then. But um, you know, as it grew up, the, the people growing up with it. I think I don't want to obviously I can't really speak for everyone, but I, I imagine at least knowing my friends that grew up playing the game, we started to get turned off by the fact that not just the art, but but just the whole game felt a little bit less fantasy and a little bit more controlled, I guess, or a little bit more, um, I don't know, static, for lack of a better way to put it. And so there's elements that are good and there's elements that are bad and I, I you know certainly i guess the good piece of it is it's more um I, I would say i think like things are a little bit more consistent on a set to set basis but i also think that hurts them because there's there's just a lack of creativity in the artist interpretation because of what you were describing where the the it, it's kind of preset what you're going to get now you're not going to get something like lord of tressorhorn i brought that up as an example that card was completely abstract to you. Same with Cyclopean Tomb. Like these are abstract things. You got a you got a word or a name or a, a brief sentence description, and that was it. Right. And you got to run with that. And I think that's 
we miss that. I think we miss that in the magic world. They've actually started doing, I don't know if you're familiar with this, Anson, if you've heard of this, they, they started doing a thing called MTG Secret Layer. They started it in December of this past year. And the Secret so. Layer, sorry, what was that? I, I don't think I've heard of that. Got it. Yeah. Um, it basically what the concept of it was or is, I think, is to this was how it was advertised. So I, I'm paraphrasing. I hope that they stick to this. The the advertisement of Secret Layer was essentially to go back to the roots of abstract, kind of open-ended design for artists, where you know they want kind of a controlled art in some of their standard releases so like if you think back to alpha beta antiquities all those different blocks today we still get those and those are very controlled designs and and you know they have a team dedicated watsi has a team dedicated to the entire design experience from the time that they create all the cards to the time that the art is added to them and you know it's it's all just a very kind of cookie cutter process at this point. And so, right. so Secret Layer is kind of jumping in as a way for them to still deliver high quality, unique uh, art that may not fit the bill for like their standard design, but that they still want to put on a card. And so I, I it would be really neat. I, I would just love to see you do like a Secret Layer for like, minotaurs or skeletons or something, actually something more maybe not even something that simple but something more abstract where um they give you the name of a card again and you get to go and design it for us because it would be so cool <laughs> to see what you come up with that'd so. be interesting yeah you were talking about the uh the change in the uh the direction the art direction and yeah. i thought it might be a good time to point out null rod um so Weatherlight, I think, was when they first started to really uh, nail the cards to the storyline. Like, what what I noticed uh, that kind of bothered me a little bit was when they started assigning artifacts to characters that they had written. Yeah. And have, have, having their characters holding the artifact and... What I thought was good about the artifacts before that was that they were uh, anonymous. You know, it's like if you had, let's say, a legend over here, you know, and you had an artifact in play, then you could imagine the connections with the artifact and the other creatures that you had in play and whatnot. But, you know, to have... So they had Gerard, their character Gerard, holding yep. the null rod and... My last, my last little faint uh, defiance move was to cover his face with his own hand. <laughs> and, yep. and because I just, uh, I don't know, it was, uh, it was my last effort in, in trying to boycott the storyline. Honestly, like I can see, even as a newer player who's seeing all these artifacts and stuff, I'm an artifact player. I love just uh -huh. imagining how this random merfolk that has no name interacts with this giant reservoir that will hit someone mm -hmm. for 50 life. Like, yeah. there's, as, like, a big part of magic and what attracted me to the game. Well, I've been a, I've been a trading card game player ever since I was little. But I didn't get into, well, I didn't get into magic until I was in college just a few years ago. Um, mm -hmm. 
a big part which attracted me towards magic was the extra le- level of mysticism and fantasy that was involved with the gameplay. And I got mm-hmm. most of that from playing with a lot of older cards, which were passed off to me. But from my roommate, from a few friends who already played, and I would be like, I would always be bugging them, hey, can I look at that card? Because I would just be enjoying a lot of these older arts and stuff that they would have, and I'm just sitting there with my, you know, just some of my random Kaladesh stuff, and I'm like, oh, this looks a little bland. (laughs) (laughs) Like, even now, I'm going out of my way to either commission other artists to give me something unique, or I'm looking for these premium or alternate art versions which more suit my style, where it's just kind of like and artifacts. I don't want people on them. I want to see the artifact. <laughs> yeah, your your uh, your ability to you know create these uh, these things in your head uh, is much larger than what the cards will will hold. You know, so it's uh, it it's strange to that you are uh, confined to the imagery on the card in the game, you know, and, and when they try to steer that for you, I think it makes it just a little worse. But I guess yeah. it just depends on the, you know, the, the way that you go about it in your own head. Can I jump? Yeah. Can I jump in here and say something? I just, um, the conversation is reminding me of a, a discussion Anson and I had just had a couple of days ago about the difference between the older art and the newer art. I think you guys know with with art, there's the illustrator or artist does half the job, and then the other half of the art experience comes from the viewer. It's what you bring to um, interpreting the you know what you're seeing um, that determines how you experience something. You know if it um, invokes a nostalgia or whatever it may be. Um, and I think that after 25 years, it's fair to say that there's a generational difference now between, um, well, I think the older art allows a lot of room for the viewer to um, bring their their half to, you know, to meet the art. You know, it's there's room for interpretation and, and imagining yourself being involved in what's being depicted and um i think nowadays with it being uh, having a lot more art direction and description involved and following the storyline it's almost like that um you're being you're being spoon-fed kind of what you should experience rather than giving the player the you know the credit and the room to experience that for themselves you know and so this is kind of why I was so excited for this interview. I'm younger than the game itself. I'm only 22 years old, about to go 23. And I will agree that there is this generational difference. Um, but a big part of what bothers me uh, with the newer art and what bothers me with, I guess, things in general when it comes to uh, m- more media coming in, especially with like video games and trading card games is that a lot of the imagination a lot of the interpretation is kind of being taken away from the viewer's perspective and as someone who grew up with my sister who who used to be an artist so who knows several artists who went to college with her it's 
it sucks. I yeah. I grew up from a creative family, and I just love to think of what could this be? What could we do with this? How is this unique? And that's why I love, in particular, Anson, your art, as well as some of Amy Weber's older art, because of the not only just not only are your styles unique, but also introduce a level of mysticism and mystique, which is very lacking in newer art. Like, I will grab some newer art cards, and even if they're, like, these masterpieces or things like that that I very much enjoy... They're pretty. They, they're pretty, but they they lack that substance that you see in something like Cyclopean Tube, like High Tide. I had to get a chuckle out of they're pretty because they are pretty. Um, I have a lot of them. They are very but, pretty. <laughs> but I would, I would probably pay an awful lot of money. I'm just going to say this because I, it, I was going to say it to you, Anson, uh, before Cass and I get a chance. I'd actually pay a lot of money for a masterpiece of uh, Animate Dead. Basically, just put that. Give me like a full print version of that, and I'm like, I'm set. So, um, <laughs> I wanted to say something, Brenda, to to your point, and just kind of piggybacking off what you just said, Jesus. One of the things that I've noticed with the game over the years, so I was talking about how early on in the cast, I talked about my background and how I kind of evolved going through different phases of the game. First, just being like a little kid that appreciated actually probably the art more than I did as like a teenager in my early 20s, because I thought the, the monsters on the art or on the cards were really cool. And as I got older and, and, you know, I'm in my early thirties now, uh, having been around this game for over 20 years, the older the card is, the more I appreciate it and the more I like it because I'm, I've come around to this idea that I, it's almost like I didn't know what I had when I was a kid. Right. And, and now I see this kind of commercialization of the game where it's more about having main characters and storylines and, I think I, Brenda or Anson, one of you said like kind of force fed a storyline as opposed to being able to imagine it for yourself. Unfortunately, that's where we're at these days. And I think one of the things about secret layer that was so appealing when they first announced it, when Watsi first brought it up and announced it in December was this notion that we were going to start getting cards again, that would be abstract and, and leave it up to the viewer, the, the player to interpret and so far, they've had some that they've been able to deliver on that with. Um, you know, there's been a handful of cards that they printed that have been just tremendous, you know, upgrades in terms of, well, I shouldn't say upgrades, but they've been so much more vibrant and just visually intriguing. Um, you're a dragon, aren't you? Thinking of Ur Dragon, Justine Jones, and Anson, I don't know if you're familiar. Justine Jones is another artist that she did. I, I love dragons, and Ur Dragon was a card that she did with the secret, secret layer. So, anyway, I digress. But the point of the secret <laughs> layer that I, I get at is um, I hope they do more of this and they bring back the old, you know, kind of the old way of doing things. Let the brush stroke show. Let the, that's why Mark Tadine's uh, print, in my opinion, is so masterful because. It brought back what I felt. It, for me, it brought back the the like nostalgia of the the way art was done in the '90s, and it has a very it's vibrant. Don't get me wrong; it's a lot more vibrant than some of the '90s art was. Actually, the majority of it, but the mm -hmm. the brushstrokes and the notable detail that's put into his his uh, print 
it's it's just really great to see that i hope we get more of that um anyway yeah i i think uh, a lot of the uh artists that uh, were submitting only digital uh for a while there uh they changed their mind when they saw what the uh, originals were selling for <laughs> yeah you know, yeah the, the, the traditional media original um so some of the originals just they they go for huge huge dollars these days yeah so definitely i think that um probably you know the the newer stuff is a with so much direction it's appealing to the lowest common denominator and i think that um it'd be nice to see watsi give the players and um you know the whole community a little bit more credit that um to experience the art because to experience art you know you're you're identifying with i don't know a common human experience and and so if there's no soul in it then you kind of miss out on that a little bit yep yeah no totally yeah i'm hoping that they keep doing secret layer this whole concept of like being able to do art that wouldn't fit into their standard release cycle, I think is, I'm glad that they've got that. I hope that they really lean into it more in coming, you know, years that they, that they commission art from like from, from you Anson or, you know, just any of the, the original kind of minded fantasy artists that, that some of us, myself included grew up on with magic. It would be really nice to see that. And, you know, get away from some of this more commercialized art that we've gotten in the sets. Um, I really do hope that they do that, and and we'll we'll see. It it remains to be seen, but yeah, Brenda, what you just said, I 100% agree with. You so. know, I, I I would want to point out also, uh, there are new games to be made. You know, <laughs> that's true, very true, and is- and all these great ideas. You know, uh, you can only like reshape magic so many times before you have to make your own game and uh compete with it that's true yeah very true well we can probably go ahead and and wrap up here i don't i don't really have any other major questions we covered pretty much everything that was on uh my list jesus do you have any questions that you wanted to wrap up or ask before we wrap up Only that if you can be able to send us a picture of the original Lord of Tressorhorn art that you got, that'd be great. <laughs> not a problem. Oh, yeah, yeah we, will, a problem. we will probably pin that to the Conviction Gaming wall. So you can, can even uh, we can find we could do a detail from some part of it if you want. And we've got a really amazing. nice Animate Dead too. Um, it was actually one of two pieces that Anson was able to recover from uh, his stolen artwork which oh, i didn't know you I, had your arts oh no oh that's no. another topic that's another topic <laughs> yeah he had about a hundred a hundred pieces stolen from his home while some years back but yeah oh my so goodness. yeah wow. um so uh we are you, you guys if you have any other questions or, or if you just want to chat anytime uh you should feel free to get a hold of us and uh, uh our Phone's always open if our internet connection isn't. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate that. Well, here, I'm sure. going to do a quick wrap-up for... Uh, I wanted to make sure to plug your website, um, which is 
for listeners out there, it's ansonmaddox.com. That's A-N-S-O-N-M-A-D-D-O-C-K-S.com. Uh, Anson and Brenda have their blog. A lot of Anson's art is up on there. There's um, places where you can request altars and signatures and things like that. So I want to make sure to uh, direct folks that are listening to your website and and to check that out. It's also just a great spot if you're just curious on some of these cards that we've been talking about and you want to go see the prints, you can order the prints from the website there. So uh, definitely check that out. Uh, other than that, with our podcast, you can find Conviction Gaming at our website, convictiongaming.com and uh, find us on Twitter at ConvictionMTG. That's pretty much it. That'll do it for us. Anson, Brenda, thank thank you. I, I really I I feel like the words thank you don't do what it, my uh, sincerest, most genuine thoughts are for you two taking the time to join us. It, it has just been an absolute pleasure and and joy to have this conversation. Fantastic talking to you. Yeah, no, all around it was great. Thank you. It's been a pleasure for us too. <laughs> all right, that'll do it, folks. Thank you. Have a good one.